Well, it would be my joy if you would join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving weekend. Sometimes we have a little turkey hangover on Thanksgiving weekend. Might need to shake it out a little bit before we get into God's Word. But I'm thankful for so much this week. And hopefully you've been thankful as you've thought about all of God's good gifts to you. I'm thankful for a wonderful wife that I have. I'm thankful for my kids. I'm thankful for a, a family and a church that I love. I'm thankful for Ray Davis and Mark Stoops, who I had to do that for my brother-in-law since he visited today, since he's a Louisville fan. But thankful for so much, and I hope you're thankful too. One of the things we're most thankful for as we gather as God's people is that we should be thankful that the, the Lord did not leave us in silence but he's given us his word that we get to hear each and every week. So here's what we hear from 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Make room in your hearts for us. For we have wronged no one, and we have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Christ, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though for only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Perceive what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might re be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit, spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boast I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. 
And his affliction for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would do the same work that you did in the Corinthians, that that you would do a, a work to open up their hearts to real gospel community, that that you would work in their hearts, that there might be real repentance in running to Jesus. Lord, so that they might experience the real joy and comfort that comes in Christ and Christ alone. Lord, we ask that you would do that this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, that, that Lord, we wouldn't shrink back from true community, that we wouldn't hide, Lord, from real community in the body of Christ, but Lord, we would run into gospel community so that we can be fully known and fully loved, just as we are fully known and fully loved in Jesus Christ. Lord, would you do this for the glory of your name and our joy, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the greatest gifts that I have, along with all the other gifts that I mentioned earlier, is being a pastor, being a member of Christ Fellowship Church. I'm so thankful because I know that I could never experience the joys of the Christian life without you all, without this church. Maybe that sounds strange to some of you all. Maybe you, have a, you don't have a high view of the local church, but, but I believe that I could not experience all the joys of the Christian life, all the joys of what God has for me in Christ without the local church. I couldn't be a Christian without your prayers and your encouragements, and your fellowship, and and your worship that I experience with you each and every week. See, I believe it's not really, it's not just really hard to live the Christian life without brothers and sisters. I believe that it is impossible. It is impossible. This is what God has intended for you in Christ. The reason this is so hard for us to believe, I think, the reason it might sound so strange to us is because of the individualistic air that we breathe today in the world. In our world today, there is an obsession with ourselves. I mean, just watch every movie. Look at every book that's sold at Barnes & Noble. Look at the commercials that are trying to get you to buy stuff. We are obsessed with ourselves. One scholar called it expressive individualism. All of your life revolves around you. Your dreams, your desires, your passions, your wants, your comfort, your happiness. It's all about you, is what they say. This modern obsession sadly has crept into the church. 
It's crept into the church and it has begun to corrupt the church. It, it has corrupted all that God has for you in his people called the church that, that you can't have without the church. And maybe one example would be just going to church on a Sunday morning. Going to a church in an average church today, and we walk in and, and we turn the lights down so that we don't have to see anybody else. And, and we turn the music up so that we don't have to hear anybody else. Just to get alone with you and Jesus. Listen, we don't come to church to be alone with just us and Jesus. We come to church to treasure Jesus together. We can have us and Jesus all week long. I need the body of Christ and Jesus to experience Christ with you each and every Sunday. That's one of the things I love about this letter, 2 Corinthians, because it is the most personal of all of Paul's letters. It's the realest of all of Paul's letters letters in the New Testament, and it reveals to us what real relationships, what real community in Christ looks like. It shows us the, the highs and lows, the joys and sorrows, not just of life, but life together in Christ. My prayer this morning is as we look at Paul and his relationship with the Corinthians, that we would learn about real community, real gospel community. Because, because here's the deal. People want real. Everybody in your life is looking for real. Nobody showed up today to find fake. They don't want to be entertained. They, they don't want surface-level relationships. They're not looking for a mediocre concert that's not as good as something they can see in Nashville. They don't want smoke machines. They long for real and vulnerable and authentic and honest relationships that they can only find in Jesus. Th that's what you want. That's what you want. You want to know what it's like to be fully known and fully loved in Jesus and by one another. I know that's what I want. That's why I show up here on Sunday 4, and I pray that God's Word would show us how we find that in His church. The first thing I think we see here is that real community has real relationships. Real community has real relationships. Look how Paul begins in verse 2. He says this, Make room in your hearts for us. It's a very simple request that he makes to the Corinthians. He says, Don't hold back from experiencing true community. Don't hold back from knowing what real relationships in Christ look like. This is a continuation from what Paul said in the last chapter. You remember when Paul said this in chapter 6? Our heart is wide open. Paul says, my heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us, but you're restricted by your own affections. 
See, Paul knows that there are multiple ways that we can restrict ourselves from experiencing true community. I mean, we saw last week that not pursuing holiness, sin can choke out our experience of real community. But we can also fail to experience real community by restricting ourselves, by by not opening up to others, by not choosing to be vulnerable with others in the church. Maybe it's not worldliness choking you out this morning from community. Maybe it's your reluctance holding you back from all that God has for you in his people. I love what Kyle Charlotte has said before. He says, you got to want community to have community. Very simple. you got to want community to have community. And to have real relationships, there's two things that have to be present in any relationship. There has to be people who are worthy of trust and people who are willing to trust. Both those things have to be true. There have to be people who are worthy of trust and people who are willing to trust. And that's why Paul begins in verse 2 saying, we have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. He's saying that we are trustworthy, that our hearts are above reproach. Our actions are above reproach. There is no reason, he says, why you can't trust us. And so once trustworthiness is established, the next question you have to ask is, then what's holding me back from real relationships? What's holding me back from really being known, from really being honest, from really showing my true self, from me really being vulnerable? Listen, I'm not saying this is easy, right? Like, I know that there are real hurts, even in this room right now. Maybe you've been hurt by an earthly father or an earthly uh, a mother, a parent. Maybe you've had a previous relationship that, where you felt betrayed and you don't know if you can trust anymore. Sadly, maybe some of us here have been hurt by a previous church. And you feel like, how can I be vulnerable again? How can I open up my heart again? Well, I want you to hear from God's word. I know it might be really hard, but I want you to hear that real gospel community is worth it. Real community rooted in Jesus is worth it. Listen to what Justin Early writes in his new book, Made for People. He says, everything changes when we realize that our instinct to hide is not only wrong, but also incredibly dangerous. We mistakenly think that hiding keeps us, keeps us safe by shielding us from danger. But what hiding actually shields us from is love. It may be counterintuitive at first, but consider that we are not happiest when we are hiding and safe. We are happiest when we are exposed and loved anyway. 
We are the most human when we are most intimately known. And that means coming out of our hiding places. Is that not true? We, we are most who we are when we are exposed and loved anyway. When we're fully known and yet embraced in Christ anyway. Listen, wherever the gospel is at work, real relationships might not be easy, but they're always worth it. Wherever the gospel's at work, real community, it might not be easy, but it's always worth it. I mean, listen to what Paul says. This is amazing. In verse 4, he says this, I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. You know why that's amazing? But it's because Paul is using the same language that he uses to describe our union with Christ. So in the same way he's saying that we are united to Jesus Christ through his death on a cross and through his resurrection, he's saying we're united in Christ through our dying together and our living together. Because we are one in Christ, because the gospel unites us, we can have real relationships. Listen, wherever the gospel is work, there should be a worthiness to trust and a willingness to trust. Not because it's always easy. Not because we won't mess it up. We will mess it up, right? but because Jesus is in the midst of us. If Jesus is at work in a church, and it's Jesus' name who is lifted up high, and it's the gospel's power that's at work among us, changing us, making us like Jesus, then community is always worth it. We should and we must open up our hearts as God's word tells us to do. Second of all, he says, real community has real rebuke. If you remember the background of this letter, Paul has sent a severe letter to the church at Corinth. It's a letter due to unrepentant sin that the church wasn't taking care of. It's, it's even a church where where they're holding back from embracing and and loving the Apostle Paul. They're closing their hearts to Paul, even though he's the one who shared the gospel with them. And so Paul sends this letter saying some really hard things that must be said for the good of their souls. That's one of the hardest things about gospel community that sometimes hard things need to be said. God's people, followers of Jesus, are called to be full of grace and full of truth. Full of grace and full of truth. And and that's a hard balance to strike, isn't it? I mean, if anybody here has got that balance right and they're just killing it, go ahead and raise your hand and we'll applaud you right now. But none of us do. None of us get a perfect balance of being full in grace and full of truth. 
And yet Paul Washer says that your best friend is the friend that tells you the most truth. Your best friend is the person that tells you the most truth. Brothers and sisters, you need people. We need people to tell you not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. Let me give you a couple disclaimers before you leave here being all trigger happy this morning and giving somebody some rebukes. Your brothers and sisters should hear your encouragements way more than they hear your rebukes. It should be more common for you to notice graces in people's lives and to talk about those graces than you to talk about anything else in community. As Ray Ortland says, I've never met anyone suffering from too much encouragement in Christ. You ever met that person? Man, I met this guy. He's just a little overly encouraged. You've never met that person. Maybe overly criticized. Maybe overly ran down. But you've never met anybody overly encouraged in Christ. And so what would it look like if we cultivated a community that loves seeing grace and loves talking about grace. Every time we see it, anywhere we see it, we just want to talk and give glory to God for the grace that we see in one another. In fact, I would say if a brother or sister hasn't experienced your encouragements, they don't need your rebukes. They don't need your, you're not the one to give them the rebukes. But another disclaimer, you shouldn't give rebukes if you like giving rebukes. (laughs) Like if you, that seems like common sense. But if you enjoy correcting people, if you have dreams at night about putting people in their place, God doesn't need you. Like he doesn't need you to play that role in his church. Did you notice here in this letter that, that Paul took no joy, he says, in sending that letter. He wasn't happy in the least bit that they were grieving, that they were sad. No, he says, when I was in Macedonia, before Titus came bringing good news, what does he say? Inside me, I was filled with affliction. He says, we were facing affliction outside of us, all around us, But we were filled with anxiety. And what he was filled with was anxiety about the church. Paul's greatest trial, his greatest sorrow was anxiety with what was happening in the churches. He didn't want the Corinthians to be sad. He did not enjoy saying what he had to say. But listen, he had to say it. What's that teach us? God doesn't need people who love to correct people. He wants people who love to see Christ-likeness. That should be our greatest aim in the church. should be our greatest joy that we might see Christ formed in people. This is what it means when we have to say things that are not easy to say, but, but it's for their Christ-likeness. If we're like the world and, and we just want people to be happy all the time, like if that's our greatest agenda, that everybody will look like they're on a Skittles 
Skittles commercial, then we can just smile and we can be happy and we can be silent in community. But if it's not about someone's temporary happiness, but their lasting joy in Jesus, we have to speak. We have to speak. Be full of truth and grace. Listen, we're going to have to say hard things, and we're going to have to hear hard things if any of us are going to be like Jesus. I remember a college roommate telling me I could take you to the spot where I was living in a house on Wendell Avenue in Jackson, Tennessee, where a college roommate told me, you're the most arrogant person I've ever met. I remember a brother in this church standing in the foyer one day saying, you know, this church will be fine without you, and you have to be rest in that. I remember another brother on a walk in this neighborhood one day saying, you need to quit worrying about what people think so much. And for every single word, I am immensely grateful because every word the Holy Spirit used to make me more like Jesus. Sometimes we have to hear hard things and say hard things if we are going to look like Jesus. But look at the third thing. Real community comes, has real repentance. Real community has real repentance. Hopefully this is the, the fruit of of the words that we speak to one another. In verses 8 and 9, this is what Paul says. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that letter grieved you. Though for a little while, as it is, I rejoice. Listen, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Did you hear it? Paul is not rejoicing because his words brought sadness. Paul is rejoicing because his words brought repentance. That's an important difference. Paul is not rejoicing because his words brought sadness. He is rejoicing because his words brought repentance. Yes, your words to other people might do nothing for their short-term happiness. They might be really painful in the moment, but what does it do for their lasting joy in Jesus? It's like a father who's watching his kid go into surgery. Watching his child go into surgery. There, there might be pain for the moment. Oh, but he knows it's for a greater good. He knows it's for a lasting joy. Oh, real gospel community should be, must be marked by real repentance. What marks us as God's people is not that we never sin. What marks us as God's people is that we always repent. That's really important if you don't want to live a, a miserable, defeated, burdened life. What marks you as a Christian is not that you won't sin anymore. 
What marks you as a Christian is that you will always repent. You will always turn away from your sin and run back to your Savior. I mean, we won't always get it right in community, will we, all the time? We won't always get it right like half the time, maybe 10% of the time. But we should always want to make it right in community. We always should want to walk in repentance. And that's why every single one of us needs real gospel community. So we can see our blind spots. So we can repent. You know why they call them blind spots, right? Because you can't see them. And you need other people to help you see them. I mean, wouldn't it be worse to live a hidden life? Wouldn't it be worse to live a a hidden life where you never see your sin and no one tells you about your sin and so you never get to repent? That would be tragic for your life. The aim should always be repentance. I mean, look at verse 10. He says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. He says there's a a world of difference between godly grief and worldly grief. Actually, there's an eternity of difference between godly grief and worldly grief. See, worldly grief is anything that leaves you short of repentance. Anything that leaves you short of repentance. So so maybe it's that you're sad that you got caught for your sin. Or, Or maybe you're sad that someone pointed out your sin. Or maybe you're sad about the consequences of your sin. Or maybe you feel bad that someone else feels bad. Or maybe you feel bad, but you never change. All of this is deadly because it doesn't lead to repentance. It's short of all that you have been given in Christ in repenting and running to him. But godly grief, godly grief is less about how you feel and more about who you sinned against. It's that you see that my sin is a sin against the holy God. And my sin deserves the judgment of God. My sin is worthy of the wrath of God. But because Jesus went to a cross and took the wrath that I deserve, the punishment that should have been laid on me, I can now run from my sin and run to Jesus. And that's not where death's found. That is where the only place where life is found is in Jesus. See, godly grief sounds a lot like David in Psalm 51 when he says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Did did David forget just what happened? Did he not sin against other people? I mean, he sinned against Bathsheba. He, He sinned against Uriah. He had some terrible, horrendous sin against others. But in light of the holiness of God, he says, against you and you only have I sinned. 
Dane Ortland writes, it's not sorrow at being caught in sin. It's sorrow at being in sin. It's really important. It's not sorrow at being caught in sin. It's sorrow at being in sin. We don't want to sin against the God who created us. We don't want to sin against the God who would send His one and only Son to die for us and rise again. And look at the abundance of fruit from this repentance. Look look at what godly grief produces in us. Look at verse 11. Look at verse 11 with me. It says, For we see what earnestness. Just look at the fruit that piles one on top of the other in this one verse. He says, For we see what earnestness. What readiness, what willingness this godly grief has produced in you. But what, what also what eagerness to clear yourselves. Not apathy, but a desire to make things right. And then he gives this quick list. What indignation, which just means you're bothered by your sin. What fear. You, you're in awe and you want to honor God with everything that you are. What longing. You desire to to be in unity with the God who created you and with one another. What zeal. You hunger for holiness. What punishment. You have a determination for justice. At every point, you've proved yourselves innocent in the matter. This means you want to clear yourself and bring God glory. Do you see in one verse the abundance of of fruit, the the work of the Holy Spirit in a heart that's truly repenting. So I ask us this morning, are the fruits of repentance that were present in Corinth, are they present at Christ's fellowship? Are they present in your heart? Like, are you marked by humility Or are you marked by pride or or self-pity? Is there an earnestness to make things right? Or is there an earnestness to always be right? Is there an eagerness to walk in holiness? Or is there an apathy that you've sinned against God? Is there a desire to honor the Lord? Or is there a desire to get what you want? Is there a longing to be one with one another? Or is there a desire to always win? Is there a zeal for God's glory, a zeal for God's holiness? Or like the world, is there just a zeal for you to be happy? Will we be a church marked by real heart-level repentance or just fake surface-level religion? Will we be a church marked by real heart-level repentance or just fake surface-level religion? Finally, the good news is that real community has real refreshment. This whole letter, A Lot Like Life, isn't short on sadness and sorrow. I mean, even in this passage... He mentions grieving. 
and sadness a whole bunch. He's talking about the grief that he experienced, the grief that they experienced. However, brothers and sisters, those who experience sorrows in gospel community should always expect the joys of gospel community. When we read this passage, there is some sadness, but there is a lot of comfort and joy. There is greater comfort and joy. I mean, the word comfort alone in these verses is mentioned seven times. He's redundant about the comfort that we have in Christ. The words joy or rejoicing are mentioned six times. You saw in verse 4 that he says this, In all of our affliction, which is great, which seems massive, in all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. Overflowing with joy. You know, when Paul sent this letter to the Corinthians, I'm sure he knew what his words could do. I'm sure in in some sense he expected there to be sadness. But because the gospel was at work, he also expected great joy. Paul, it says in this passage, was already boasting to Titus about the church. He was already saying, hey, I preached the gospel there. They heard the gospel there. I I heard them treasure Jesus. I sang about Jesus with them. Listen, I know this is going to be a heavy letter, but guess what? The gospel will bring about repentance. I know that the gospel is powerfully at work in Corinth. Here's what I, I want us, church, to believe with all our hearts. If you commit yourself to real relationships... And if you walk in real repentance, you can expect great joy. I'll say it again. If you commit yourselves to real relationships, and if you walk in real repentance, you can bank your life on it that you will experience joy at Christ Fellowship. I promise it. You can take it to the bank because of all that we have in Jesus. Look at what happens when Titus returns with this great report of repentance to Paul. Look at verse 13. He says, what, is he, what happens? Therefore we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. Do you see it? The the Corinthians experience refreshment in the gospel. Titus experiences experiences refreshment in the gospel. Paul experiences refreshment in the gospel. It's like he's like, Oprah, you get refreshment. You get refreshment. We all get refreshment because of Jesus. But, But listen, it does not happen without repentance. It will not happen without repentance. This is how the gospel works. This this is what happens when we truly repent, when we run from our sin. 
And our sin can be lust, it can be greed, it can be pride, but it can also be disunity. It can always also be pushing away brothers and sisters. But when we run from our sins and run to Jesus, we get refreshment that only Jesus can bring. This is how the gospel works. When we repent, we get refreshment. Remember when Peter was preaching the gospel to the crowds in Acts 3. This is what he says. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. And then he says this, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Do you see it? There is a direct correlation. There is an unbreakable link between refreshment and repentance in your life. An unbreakable link between repentance and refreshment in your life. And you need to believe this. You must believe this. Like for the sake of your friendships and for the sake of your marriage and for the sake of your parenting, and for the sake of this church, you must believe that there is an unbreakable link between repentance and refreshment. Because without repentance, there will be dryness. There will be misery. misery. There will be life sucked out of this place. But with repentance, this passage says, comes comfort and joy in Jesus. You know, when Paul says that Titus was refreshed by you all, that word refreshed, that word refreshed is the same word that Jesus uses when he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. So Jesus intends for the same refreshment that you receive in abundance in him, that you would experience that same rest and refreshment in one another. That we would truly experience that real rest that only comes in Jesus in this place. My question this morning is, have you found this? Have you found real? Have you found real gospel community that leads to rest? A a safe place where you can repent of your sins. A, A safe place where you don't have to hide in darkness anymore, but you can walk in the light with Christ and with others. A a safe place where you can unburden the the darkest places of your soul for people to see because they're not going anywhere. A safe place to exhale and to inhale the grace of Jesus. Because this is one of the greatest gifts of the gospel. It's not just that you have forgiveness of your sins and life forever with Jesus. It's that in Christ we can have real relationships where we can walk in real repentance 
and receive real joy that only comes in Jesus. One of my encouragements for you in the new year would be to find that real community. One of the ways we try to practice that here at Christ Fellowship is through gospel groups where we as small groups of brothers and small groups of sisters get together to be honest about ourselves, to be vulnerable and to confess our sins one to another that we might be healed with the gospel. And we pray that you can find that true joy that's in Jesus, not where you're hiding any longer, but where you're exposed and yet still loved by Jesus and by one another. In closing, Paul finishes with these words, I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. Paul has complete confidence Not because they have the best programs. Not because they have the best music in town. Not because they have the best preacher or the best kids ministry or the best whatever. No, Paul has complete confidence because they have Jesus. Paul has complete confidence in the Corinthians because Christ is in the Corinthians. You know, anything that's good in me or in you is not me or you. It's Christ in us. It's his grace giving us more than we can deserve. His power doing more in us than we can do. And that's why we can have complete confidence in one another like Paul has confidence in them. This is why I have complete confidence confidence in Christ's fellowship. That's why I can have overwhelming thanksgiving for Christ's fellowship this morning. It's because Jesus is here. It's because Jesus is at work at Christ's fellowship. And my hope is not in us. My hope is in Jesus. His perfect life for us, his perfect death for us, his glorious resurrection for us, his daily keeping of us, his holding fast to us, his grace sustaining us until the day we see his face. Oh, I can say this morning without hesitation with the Apostle Paul, I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. It's the exact same confidence Paul had with the church in Philippi. This is the confidence I have when he says in Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. For the glory of his name and for our joy in him and in one another. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would do what only you can do. Oh, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you do a work, do a work in every single person in here where they might, Lord, unburden their soul before you this morning. That they might come out of hiding and run to the light this morning. Lord, that they might repent of their sins and and see themselves exposed before the cross because of Jesus dying for our sins, but Lord, also seeing ourselves 
fully loved in Jesus through his work on the cross. And Lord, through the gospel of Jesus' perfect life lived for us, and his perfect death that he died in our place, and his perfect glorious resurrection that gave the victory over all our sins. Lord, I pray that we would run from our sins and run to Jesus this morning. But Lord, I pray that we would run from our sins today and every day, and that we would run to real gospel community. Where we can know what it means to be fully known, fully vulnerable, fully honest, fully real, because we're fully loved in Jesus. Lord, we want to experience that in this place. Lord, we don't want fake, surface-level religion. We can get that anywhere and everywhere. Lord, we want real, deep-hearted repentance and joy and refreshment in Jesus. So would you do that for the glory of your name and for our joy, Lord? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.